this, this happened to me. I remember I had a great uncle who told me, you know, if you don't make a plan for your money, your money will make a plan for you. And it freaked me out. And I was like, oh my goodness, what does he mean <laughs> by that? And so I instantly started educating myself. First thing I did was I got a book called Young, Fabulous and Broke by Susie Orman. I was young. I like to think I'm fabulous and I was very broke. Hello to all our listeners. I'm Michaela Petty with TCU's Amplify Women in Sales, an initiative from the TCU Sales Center that extends to you and your story. We are a community dedicated to upskilling, empowering, and helping you reach your fullest potential. Today on the podcast, we have Sharnice Harris with Fidelity Investments, here to talk about financial literacy and what you should know about owning your finances. According to the research, despite more women in the workforce, financial literacy is simply not discussed. Of the 1,594 pages of the top 17 women's magazines, less than 1% were about personal finances. And it's time we change that. And guess what? Owning your finances all starts with you and your personal journey. But first and foremost, Sharnice believes in building relationships with the clients. It's a big job, but I have a lot of fun doing it. You know, I do it one relationship at a time and making sure that people know fidelity and what we're about. We love a personal connection. Now, I'm interested in how you got into finance because your major at TCU wasn't in finance, was it? No, not at all. Not at all. (laughs) So how did you get to Fidelity? How did that journey go? Oh my goodness. So it was a crazy crooked ride to say the least. Um, I actually graduated from the Adran School of Liberal Arts. So I had an English major, sociology minor. So for all my Adran folks out there, holler at you. Um, but how, how, I, how I got there, um, I actually thought I was going to law school. And yeah, I interned um, and I realized very quickly in my internships with various law firms, law was not for me. Um, but I found out I really enjoyed policy. So I pivoted. I went to grad school. I actually started in nonprofits and helping um, in the public policy front there. And I happened to land at Junior Achievement, which um, Fidelity has a partnership with. And I, Fidelity was my, uh, my partner. They were my partner company. And so um, I had a few events with them. They actually recruited me to come on board. They said, hey, we like your style. Would you be interested <laughs> in... You're awesome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Would you be interested in coming into our public affairs group? And I applied and did a, a number of interviews and got the role. And so I've been at Fidelity for about five and a half years, and it has been a wonderful, wonderful experience. Love it. Switching gears. Today, we are here to talk all about financial literacy. Our listeners are high achieving go-getters that are starting to make some good money. And the question is, how do they manage that? Let's start off with what does financial literacy mean to you, Sharnice, in your own personal journey? Yeah. So basically, financial literacy means to me having the skills and the know-how and even the resources to be able to really maximize and meet your goals, right? So being able to plan for your financial future, but then also being able to execute in meeting your goals financially. So that's what it means to me. Let's paint the picture. I'm a few years out of college. I'm starting to make some great money at my new job. How do I build a financial plan? 
What is step one? Yeah, great question. So ironically enough, this happened to me. I remember I had a great uncle who told me, you know, if you don't make a plan for your money, your money will make a plan for you. And it freaked me out. And I was like, oh my goodness, what does he mean (laughs) by that? And so I instantly started educating myself. First thing I did was I got a book called Young, Fabulous and Broke by Susie Orman. I was young. I like to think I'm fabulous and I was very broke, right? So I, I read the book and it was awesome. And, and then I started Fidelity, Fidelity shortly thereafter and it really enhanced my knowledge. But first and foremost, when you're building a financial plan, I think you need to know your numbers. What I mean by that is know obviously what you make, know how much debt you're in, um, know what's your, what's your credit score? Know your numbers, be in tune with what you have going on financially. I think secondly, have some goals, have short-term and long-term goals. Short-term goals are five years or less. Long-term goals are five plus years. And then once you sit that, sit down and have your numbers and have your goals, start to develop a plan. So, or start to develop a budget rather. So Fidelity has a great uh, way to develop a budget. They say 50% goes to essential expenses or your fixed expenses like your rent, uh, your utilities, all the things that you need to live. 15% should go toward your retirement. And then 5% should go to your savings. And hopefully you're building an emergency savings. So emergency savings um, is for anything if you have a rainy day or have some uncertainty, three to six months built up in your savings account. So I threw a lot at you there, but that is kind of- I am always zero to 60, but let's break that down a bit. Going back, what is an emergency fund and how much should I put into it? Yeah. So emergency fund is really going to be based on you and your situation, right? So all of us make different have different incomes. Some of us may have $30,000. Some of us may be making 40 or 50 or 60. It just depends. So you need to look and see what do I need to live? You know, and what I mean by live is rent, your car note, your water, your electric, all of those essential things that you need to live. Do shoes count at all in there for essentials? even (laughs) though it feels essential to me a lot of times, it doesn't fall in that. That would be your discretionary spending, right? But for anything you need to live apart from those shoes, because I'm sure you have some really good shoes already, make sure that you um, save three, three to six months of that. Try to cover three to six months of your essential spending. And that should cover you and that should be in your emergency savings. Now these women are getting hired to Fortune 500 companies and tech startups. And a lot are going to match the retirement. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, so a company match is your employer contribution of a certain amount to your retirement, right? And so some employers match you up to 3%. So if you're putting in 3% in your retirement, they will match that at 3%. Some employers like Fidelity match you up to 7%. So it really depends on your employer. But ultimately that's free money on the table, right? So you want to take advantage of that as much as possible. You want to try to max out your retirement. So if it's a 3% match, get that 3%. If it's a 7% match, get that 7%. 
Now, I know Fidelity and other investment companies like it have a fiduciary responsibility to their client. How does an up-and-coming young businesswoman know what questions to ask and know that that company is making the right decisions for her? Oh, that's wonderful. That's a great question. You know, so I would encourage anyone when they're trying to get guidance because every everybody's financial situation is different to give us a call. Um, it's very simple. It's 1-800-FIDELITY. It is free. If you're a client, it's free. Even if you're not a client, it is free. And based on your financial outlook, we will help you and help you determine what is the best plan for you. What should be key points to look out for? Yeah. So all of our reps are licensed, right? So they have different license based on what types of products they're selling. And so I think you can ask your advisor and you should ask your advisor, hey, what are you licensed in? What is your area of expertise? What type of questions can I ask you or who else do I need to go to? And they should, and at Fidelity, we have a lot of transparency in, in letting you know what their expertise is, what they're licensed in, and then passing you on to someone that can help you in other areas that they may not be able to. Perfect. Let's get a little personal for our listeners. Sharnice and I actually had a connection before this interview. I helped her plan her wedding. My family owns a wedding venue and she had her big day there last August. But we did not know that when we got in contact for this podcast. It was a nice surprise when I recognized the face on the other end of the Zoom. So how has your financial outlook changed over the years? These young women are going through many potential life changes, such as marriages, children, maybe medical emergencies, travel. How do you plan for these kind of events? Right. So as I mentioned before, you want to have a budget and your budget needs to have fixed expenses or your essential expenses and all your discretionary expenses like for shoes. <laughs> so, um, you know, when I first graduated from college, my budget looked a lot different. First of all, I didn't, I made almost no money. Um, and, and so my fixed expenses were like paying rent, being able to feed myself, pay my minimal bills and not have to ask my parents and then getting a hamburger from like Dutch's or Rodeo Goat in Fort Worth. That was what my budget consisted of. As I got older, retirement became a, a big deal for me and I was making more. So I adjusted my budget accordingly. Um, I then moved, I moved from Texas to Florida and obviously big you want to, yeah, you want to have, I had some moving expenses for sure going 966 miles across the state. Um, so I had my emergency saving in place and I, you know, had some extra cash at that point. And then to your point, I just got married. And so that has changed things. First and foremost, my husband and I had different and competing priorities, financial priorities. So before we said I do, we had to sit down and talk about what we really cared about and what we wanted as a couple and how we wanted to manage our finances as a couple. Did we want joint accounts or separate accounts? Did our wants still align now that we were getting married? Um, and then we had to plan for the wedding. So we had a whole different budget to plan for, for the wedding and, and what that consisted of. How did that go? Because weddings can run into the tens of thousands of dollars easily. How does someone plan for that? How do you budget for that kind of affair? Because you want it to be an event to remember and for all of your friends to have a blast and be the wedding everyone is talking about for years to come. 
Yes. So um, we sat down and really talked about like our dream wedding, right? We had a vision, well, it wasn't quite a vision board, but an equivalent um, vision list, if you will, about what we would like to see. Um, And then we prioritized that, right? What was the priority? Was alcohol and a lot of drinks a priority or having really, really, really good food? Um, And we knew the number coming in that we each were going to contribute. So I was going to contribute X, my husband was going to contribute Y, and and we weren't going to go over that. So we had that number set and then we prioritized what we wanted for the wedding. Um, and then we try to find those things on a budget, right? So we had to end up letting some things go, you know, other than having the um, photo booth, we didn't, we nixed that. That took us over the edge as much as we wanted to. We were like, people have camera phones. They can take their own pictures, you know? So there was some give and take there in planning for the wedding. But we were adamant about what number and how much we wanted to spend. I know I had several conversations with you and John about your wedding and hearing your perspective when I'm not on the other end of the table is awesome. (laughs) FYI, her wedding was stunning. She did it well. Going back to your financial journey, I know about college, but what about when you started making some money at Fidelity? Was it difficult to go from one to the other? Yeah, it it was. Um, And I, I made some mistakes along the way a little bit. I would say at the very beginning of my financial journey, I had a super rigid budget. And what I meant by that, I was following all the advice, but it wasn't true to my lifestyle. And so I aborted it very quickly. I was like, I can't do this. And I gave up. And I did that like three times. (laughs) And that was not smart. Um, Having a budget early on that reflects my unique personality, the fact that I like to travel, the fact that I do in fact, love shoes. The fact that I like to eat and have really cool uh, culinary experiences, I needed to build that in, right? I couldn't just have this strict, rigid budget. Um, so that was the first thing was getting a budget that was right for me. That was the first part of the journey. Taking advantage of retirement in the company match. That was the second part of the journey, if you will, because I couldn't do that initially. I didn't make enough to be able to contribute anything and, and uh, pay my student loans. And so I had to learn how to manage those. Over the years, I have gotten raises. And I remember um, a point in my career several years ago where all of the things were intact, if you will. So I had my emergency savings. I had my retirement in place. You know, my, my student loans were under control. And I was like, oh my goodness, what do I do with all of this extra money. Like I feel like a rich woman. And I remember I I took a bold move and I asked my manager actually, who had a son that was my age. And I said, what would you tell him? Like, what advice would you give him? Good idea. And I asked my manager, I should say this because he um, has done a lot in the in financial services. He's very uh, successful. So I figured he would be a good person to ask. And he said, well, I would say, Have a little fun with it because you earned it, right? Um, But then invest it in toward your long-term goals. So something beyond retirement, right? Um, Look at other ways that you can invest. And so I thought that was 
so interesting because I was just going to throw it in my savings account. And we see this for women. We are great savers, really great savers. But sometimes we don't know when to make our money work a little bit harder for us and really invest and grow that money. And so um, from there, I took some classes, some free classes at Fidelity and signed up for some newsletters uh, to find out how do I invest to learn about that a little bit more. Um, and then I called for some guidance because I, I didn't know and I had questions. <laughs> that makes sense. So what does that look like? As women, we might be tempted to stuff it all into our savings and think, Whew, I got it there for a rainy day. But what does that look like when I invest? Stocks, mutual funds, CDs, what should I do? High risk, low risk? Yeah, honestly, I think um, you have to diversify, diversification, meaning have a mix of different things. But again, it goes back to your unique financial footprint, if you will. All of us have a different financial footprint, right? So at that point, you really want to talk to a professional who can tell you and give you some recommendations on what would be best based on your goals and based on what you're making or what you have. But for all women and for anybody, to be honest with you, you want to see your money grow. Um, You want to get the best interest rate and get the best uh, dividends from from your hard work. Right. And so I think speaking to a professional and letting um, them help you and guide you based on what you're looking to do is the best way to go. So as women, how important is it that we own our finances, so to speak? Oh, my goodness. Well, I know I'm opening a big topic. We could spend (laughs) a lot of time on here. Well, definitely. I mean, women, we're awesome, right? But first and foremost, nine out of 10 women, nine out of 10 will be solely responsible for their finances at one point in their life. Either it is because they've outlived their husbands, either they've, they stay single or they have a divorce. So it is imperative as women that we know how to manage our finances. You know, women are more likely to leave the workforce because they are caregivers. We're caregivers. 60% of women are caregivers. They're either helping or, or raising children or helping elderly and aging parents. And so while they're in the workforce, you want to maximize as much as you can. You want to maximize your finances if you have to leave. And then lastly, women tend to live longer. As I mentioned before, we tend to live longer than our spouses or our partners. CDC says on average, we live five years longer. So if we don't have a good handle on our finances, that's five years of confusion or more. So we we are in a leadership position at home. We're in leadership positions at work. We're in leadership positions at school and in our communities. And therefore, we need to understand how to manage our finances to be able to have longevity and to be able to lead for the long term, not the short term. And Sharnice is right. An article by Forbes stated that just 39% of women are confident that they'll have enough resources to last 25 years into retirement, as compared with 54% of men. And according to the research, saving for retirement is lower on the list of priorities for women when compared to men. What are some rules you follow yourself? Because you hit some great points. I love to travel, pre-COVID, of course. I went to London last summer, and now we'll see when my next trip happens. But how did these women prepare for those adventures? A fun trip to Europe or maybe the Bahamas? 
funny that you should say that because I was going to go to Spain in May pre-COVID. No. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, COVID um, has put uh, halts in my traveling style. But, um, but needless to say, um, John and I, my husband, um, we actually last year knew that we wanted to take a big trip, a big international trip. We didn't know where at the time. And so we decided to set aside a few, a few dollars every time we got paid into our travel expense account. And so we literally opened an account and we put all of our travel money in that account. So um, whenever we get past this COVID-19 madness, we are going to go on a world adventure. Yes, we're going to we're going to do it. And, you know, the, the beauty in this in, in politics and government relations, we have a saying like never waste a good crisis. And this the same can go for our finances. Although our trip got halted, we have continued to put money to the side because guess what? Other than staying in Spain for a week and a half, we may be able to go for three weeks once this is all said and done, or we may decide we want to go to Fiji instead, you know, <laughs> who knows, but we're continuing to keep up our financial practices even during this time. That is smart to prepare for the future. And when the world does open up again, you can go to Spain and I can go to Croatia, which is where I wanted to go. Come on, Croatia. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> I am going to want to see photos from that trip when it does happen. Yes, for sure. For sure. Same here. Switching back to your story, do you have any examples of mistakes you might have made and that you look back on and go, oof, maybe that wasn't the smartest move? Well, I've already told you about being super rigid and miserly. I was missed miserly over here and had no fun um, with, with my finances at the beginning when I was trying to figure this out. But I also didn't prioritize my finances at all, meaning I put my, I had my budget and that was it. I was like, I'm good. You know, I, I started an emergency savings fund, had the budget, had the retirement, check all the boxes. And I never really paid attention or thought to check in again. It wasn't until I was in the bank on a Saturday morning, um, to talk to one of the tellers and, uh, one of the branch managers stopped me and said, Hey, you should, you should come talk to me. And I was like, why would I ever do that? <laughs> and, and I mean, she was lovely. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, I finished my transaction. I don't have a reason to talk to you. And she said, well, when was the last time you checked, had a checkup? And I was like, a what? And, and so she said, a financial checkup, you should do it yearly. And I was like, uh, well, never. And so she said, well, come, come to my office. So she sat down she opened up my accounts and, and said, oh, well, you qualify for this and this. And have you ever heard of this? And she gave me so many recommendations and ideas that I never thought of. I would have never known because I had never done the financial checkup. And so when I left her office, I thought, I wonder if I can do this with my investment accounts. And so I called Fidelity and I literally said, I don't really know what to ask you apart from, am I on the right track? And do you have any recommendations? And so I do that every year now. She stopped me. It was the first week of January. So now the first week of January, I go to my bank and have my financial checkup, if you will. And then I go and call Fidelity because my investment accounts are there. And people walk 
through it with me and make sure I'm on track and give me recommendations and ideas I never even thought of. So regardless of where you bank, regardless of where you do your investing, do that um, because you don't want to leave anything on the table. What great advice. That lady probably had no idea how she affected the rest of your life, even down to the week you do your checkup. I know. Like, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do this every year. Like she convinced me. It was, it was crazy. And I, I didn't realize I qualified for certain things and it was just a, a great conversation. So yeah. I need to go to my bank now yeah. and start my financial yearly checkup. For sure. Yes. Prioritize those expenses. Prioritize, prioritize, prioritize. Overall, let's get down to the core of this advice. You have 60 seconds to impart advice to a mm-hmm. young businesswoman sitting in front of you about financial literacy. What do you tell her? The Boston Consulting Group reported that between 2010 and 2015, private wealth held by women grew from $34 trillion to $51 trillion. Most of the private wealth that will change hands in the next 20 or 30 years will go into the hands of women. What do you advice do you give to these women? Yeah. So make sure that you are getting your company match and maximize that because that is free money. Free money is good money. Secondly, I would tell her if you're making good money and you have an emergency savings, then see where you can invest. So call somebody and, and ask questions about that. And then thirdly, continue to educate yourself. And you can do that by signing up for Fidelity's Women Talk Money. Um, go to fidelity.com backslash WTM. It educates you on all things woman and finance. It is an awesome resource. It is free to anybody. They have great webinars and they address topics that women face every day. Awesome. Going down that rabbit trail. What are some things millennials are doing differently with their finances? Because it's not the same financial world that my parents lived in. As a person that fits into that box, what do you recommend doing? Yeah. So I honestly think that millennials, we are not afraid to talk about finances more so than our parents. My mother kind of sees that as a taboo and I'm, I'm loosening her up to the idea. Um, research shows that 48% of millennials are leaning in and investing beyond um, their retirement accounts. And 48% may seem small, but that's very significant when we're talking about women and women millennials in particular. Um, and even in this time of uncertainty with COVID-19, millennials are more likely to take steps to manage their finances better. So we see that they are financing um, their emergency savings more. We also see that they are more likely to put off a bigger purchase or a bigger event due to COVID-19. So quite frankly, I think we as millennials are doing a good job in just gleaning wisdom and trying to make good financial decisions overall. So we're just rocking it over here. We're, we're, we're rocking it. There's still room to grow. Don't get me wrong, (laughs) but we're rocking it and we're doing it with some style. So that's always, that's always cool. Perfect pair of shoes. (laughs) Perfect pair. And going to Croatia and Spain, you know, when things settle down. (laughs) Sharnice began the conversation about financial literacy and it is far from over. She had this last remark to say about owning your finances. Yeah, I can't say it enough. Like as women, to your point, Michaela, we must own our finances and we can do that by preparing and educating ourselves. So take advantage of any resource out there 
if the resource doesn't make sense or it's a bad experience, just say too bad, so sad. I'm going to walk away in my cool heels and I'm going to find somebody else. Like don't give up. And then the very, very last thing I have to say, this is go frogs. Go frogs. (laughs) An article by Forbes noted that women may have less confidence than men when talking about money, which can lead to missed opportunities. If you take away one idea from this conversation, let it be this. Be bold, be confident, and have those tough discussions. You earned it. Like Sharnice's great uncle said, if you don't make a plan for your money, your money will make a plan for you. To continue learning more about financial literacy, make sure to follow Amplify Women in Sales on LinkedIn and join our growing community of women dedicated to amplifying and empowering. Until the next time, I am Michaela Petty, and this is TCU's Amplifying Women in Sales. One topic, many voices. Many voices.